0: I was maybe 16 years old, and I was kind of a rebellious kid. I joined Tinder to meet some older guys, and I was matched with this really attractive 20-year-old that seemed really into me, naive, I know. Anyway, he asked to pick me up from school the following day to get ice cream and walk around the nearby lake. I said yes. He picked me up and we had a great conversation, nothing weird and it seemed like we really enjoyed each other's company. When we got to the lake, no one was there because it was the middle of October and very cold on the water. We walked about halfway around the lake and that's when it got weird. He started talking to me about crime documentaries and how he studied them and knew how to kill someone without getting caught. He started making tracks in the mud and said that he would wear shoes that were too big so the police couldn't match him on the shoe size. He picked up his shoes to show me ten and a half, and informed me that he wore an eight. I got uneasy. He started strolling around me while I was sitting on a bench, like I was a prey. He went to one of those doggy baggy dispensers. He grabbed one of the bags and started swatting me in my face. I thought he might be trying to gross me out, so I half giggled and swatted it away. On one of my swats, he grabbed me by the forearm and pulled me in and put the bag over my head. Still, I thought he might be kidding, but as I tried to get away, I noticed he wasn't letting up. I was starting to panic now, realizing I wasn't getting any air, and he picked me up in sort of a headlock position. I was kicking and trying to elbow, and I guess one of the elbows connected to his groin, and we both fell to the ground. He laughed and said, you got more fight in you than I thought you did. Was just trying to make you pass out, but I didn't even get that far. I'm proud of you. All of my stuff, phone, taser, was in his car on the other side of the lake, so I decided to play along and pretend that it was funny. I told him I needed my inhaler now and to walk me back. He did, surprisingly. I got to his car and I grabbed my taser and my phone while he walked around the back of his car to the driver's side. I text my mom SOS and to track my location. When I looked up from my phone, I noticed the guy had pulled out his pocket knife. He slowly laid it into the tip of my chest, just enough for it to pierce my skin. He just blankly stared at me, and this went on for about 30 full seconds. I don't know why, but I said, you're not going to do it. This seemed to snap him out of it, and he paused, and then let out a hysterical laugh. Between laughs, he got out. That's the second time I've tried to kill you today. The whole drive home, he proceeded to tell me how he would have raped and mutilated my body if I accidentally died that day. I got home and bolted out of the car. As soon as I did, he sped off. I got a dick pic later that night, and then he blocked me. I looked him up, and it turns out he was actually 27 years old and had a criminal record for domestic violence. That's all I could get on him, though. I reported it to the police, but nothing really came of it though. Probably because I wasn't willing to tell my parents what happened. Either way, worst encounter of my life. I live in a regional town of Australia. There is no sex trafficking problem here. It just doesn't exist. There's no gang activity, no unsolved murders, and no missing people or unsolved crimes. Just to give you the laydown of the sort of area I live in. Also, I'm a trans man. I'm pretty, t so I don't often pass as a male, despite me trying to. And that is probably somewhat obvious by my profile picture on Facebook, where I look pretty feminine. Now onto the story. This happened today, and I'm still unsure whether I should do anything about it, or if the police would even bother. I flip furniture as a hobby, I like to pick up free or cheap worn-out furniture, repair it, repaint it, and then sell it. It keeps my mind occupied. Facebook Marketplace is usually the place where I go to find stuff. So this morning, I found a post for a free table. I messaged the person if I could pick it up today. As I'm messaging them, their Facebook profile picture disappeared. I thought that was weird, but maybe they just had changed it. They agreed to the time and sent me the address. No worries, it's on the edge of town. They sent me some random obscure message. Are you coming alone, or will you have your husband with you? Okay, I'm not married, and this is slapping me in the face with red flags. But I think maybe the table is heavy, and they think I might need help carrying it. I respond with, nah, it's all good, I'll be alright. There's no response back. I have an uneasy feeling that something isn't right with this. Never felt this way before, and don't know why I do now. But I figure that it's in the middle of the day. I've got my phone, and I'm driving there in a safe town. Maybe I'm just overthinking the whole thing. So I hop in my car, and I head to the agreed place. I couldn't find the exact address on my GPS, which I thought was odd. But nevertheless, I find the street. There's nothing there. By that, I mean, there's a creek that runs by the side of it. Empty lots with brushland and tall overgrown grass, a disused, isolated somewhat motel, and three warehouses. By this stage, I am feeling really off. Everything inside of me is saying, dude, there's something wrong with this whole situation. I'm paying a little more attention to that feeling at this stage, but keep going. Two of the warehouses had no signage, but there were a couple of cars out in front, and I could tell they're used for a business of some sort. Their address isn't the one I was given, though. Even though the motel looked like it hadn't been used in years, I see a mid-40s guy sitting on the steps of one of the units smoking. I think to myself, that is a bit bloody creepy, but maybe he owns the place, and he's doing some kind of work, and just taking a break, or maybe he's just a squatter. So I drive down the street a little further to find the last warehouse. The address is where I was meant to pick it up, so it must be it. I start thinking maybe they just got the wrong number. I mean, this place has tall weeds surrounding it, rubbish out in the front. It surely hasn't been used since it was built. I might like free furniture, but I'm not an idiot. I decided I don't want it anymore and messaged the bloke that I'm sorry, but I couldn't find the place. I got a message back saying, are you in the Ute? I saw you drive up and down a couple times. Are you alone? There's no cars or any sign of life at this warehouse. And by now, my intuition is screaming at me to get out of there. Yes, I have a U, but I don't see anyone around. How do they know? I message in reply, Yeah, mate. Sorry, can't find the place. Cheers anyway. I get no response for about an hour. No sorry or anything. Just, It's the old motel. You have to get out of your car and walk to the back of reception. That same worn-down, isolated motel with overgrown weeds that hasn't been used in many years. The same one with a weird guy sitting on the step. I message back, what are you talking about, the place that hasn't been used in years? I get no response, nothing. So I head home and sit down for a drink and Google this place again. I had forgotten the exact address, so I go back on Messenger to find it, except it's gone. So I go back to Facebook Marketplace, and the whole ad is gone. It just disappeared, as if it didn't happen. What do you all think? Did I just avoid something sinister happening? My gut says I did. Creepy free table guy who was likely planning to do something really bad to an unsuspecting freebie hunter. Let's not meet. For background, I'm a gay man. 32, and live in Southern Oregon. I have a rather large following on Instagram, nature photography, and a large following on Twitter. Having a large follower count, and even sometimes having a modest-sized account, you encounter people who push the limits into ranges that are rather inappropriate. I've had my fair share of creeps to push the limit. Most of them don't phase me. It's easy to block people, and ignore them as well. And usually after a short period, they learn to piss off, except for one guy. I received a message one day from a guy in Colorado. He was 24 or 25, if I remember, and at first, he seemed rather nice. He messaged me with the usual, Hey, how are you doing? Being a down-to-earth person, I always respond and ask the same. Though, with the amount of messages I receive, I can't continue the conversation with everyone, or I never leave my phone. Though, like I said, I try my best. Usually, the messages are friendly, nature-oriented, and the occasional flirt, but after this guy got a reply from me about how I was doing, he jumped right in. You're really hot. Where do you live? I want to know all about you. I responded in a friendly capacity, telling him thank you and telling him that I'm from the Pacific Northwest, keeping it vague. The conversation then changed even further. I'd like to meet you. When can I meet you? Can we be boyfriends? Then it happened like it always does. How big is your dick? Are you a top or a bottom? Do you like being dominated? Being more interested in personality first, sexuality later, I read his message but didn't respond. I wasn't really interested anyways. I looked over his profile and saw little things that he would post that made me feel like I wouldn't be comfortable talking to him. Aside from his clearly strong come-ons, Being this is Twitter, and I didn't respond, I don't believe they send read receipts, and I figured he would just get the hint. A day went by, and then he messaged me a few times with more live comments. My Twitter is NSFW, so I kind of expect it. I respond to him, telling him thanks for the compliments, but didn't answer the questions about my location and such. Again, keeping everything short and vague, He again presses me about where I lived, and that's when I finally stopped responding altogether. After a few days, he messaged me. Are you ignoring me? I mean, it was kind of obvious. I wasn't responding, and I was still posting on my social sites. I eventually responded that I didn't feel comfortable with the conversation approach, and that I don't give out my location and such. He responded, clearly rather offended. Okay, what the fuck ever. So, I blocked him. Later that night, the same day that I had blocked him, I got a message from another account. Just random letters from a username with no post. The message went as follows. Why the fuck did you block me, bitch? I just wanted to get with you. You're a little fucking bitch. Unblock me or you'll regret that you ever did. I said fuck this noise and blocked that profile too without responding. He then, after a while, messaged me on Instagram, and using the email from my Instagram contact button, emails me as well. The messages were along the lines of, I love you. Unblock me or you'll regret this. I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Hell, I'll kill you. Again, I reported these messages to Instagram, reported the messages on Twitter, blocked him, took screenshots of the messages, and didn't respond to the email with the same vulgar content. He messaged me from more accounts telling me, I have all your photos from Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to use them to catfish people on Grindr. You'll regret ever blocking me. Then he sends me screenshots of several Grindr profiles he created with my photos. I talked to a friend of mine who is an attorney, and he wrote up a legal statement to send to him. The, you can't legally use my photos to impersonate me, I will press charges, etc. And I said it to him on yet another profile he was harassing me on. The long legal sounding warning message that he needed to cease his actions immediately. He responded with, Go ahead, have fun. I'm having fun on Grinder." Then the messages got darker. He messaged me the next day. I'll kill you. I promise you that. And then another message. I know where you live sending me a Google street photo of my previous address, my grandparents' house. The message continues, I'll hunt you down, I'll kill you, but first I'll have some fun with you for a good long time. Then I'll chop you up into little pieces. I had enough. Being a stalker asshole is one thing. Ignoring the warnings to cease impersonating me and threatening me is another thing. I called the local police department from his area as he tried to use what I assumed to be real photos on his profile, and I was able to find him on Facebook, though it may not have been his real name and the photos, considering he had half a dozen of Facebook profiles with this name and the same photos, but with different info on each, to the tune of, I'm a former Marine on one, and I work in the U.S. Marshal Service on another. Upon contacting the local Colorado Police Department from the area he located himself being from in his messages and his profile, the lady on the line told me that there's not much they can do, as jurisdiction would be the place that the crime was committed in, my state in my area, not where he's committing the crimes from. She told me to contact my local authorities, and good luck. I proceeded to file a police report to my local sheriff's office here in my county in Oregon, But after a few months, I have not received a response. Even after calling now, they state their cases are backed up due to COVID. He harassed me for a few more months, and I have documented it all. And still to this day, I receive dozens of messages of people claiming someone is using my photos to catfish them, literally around the country on Grindr. So back in my early 20s, I moved into my first apartment. I quickly got a roommate, and my naive ass was so excited to finally be starting in on adult life. Now, there were all sorts of sketchy things going on in the apartment building. From a friendly drug dealer across the hall, the frequently reported domestic violence situation going on upstairs, the fistfights in the parking lot, and various other things going on. But the one that I'll always remember was the creepy neighbor down the hall. How this particular building was set up was, all the apartments formed a square around the parking garage that was on the lower level. In the center of the garage, there were dumpsters so everyone could just throw away their trash from the balcony outside. It should also be noted that everyone's kitchen windows faced out into the middle, so they were right along the walkway. On more than one occasion, creepy neighbor would lean out his kitchen window and watch my roommate and I while we were leaving We had to walk right past them to get to the stairs, and he would always ask where we were going, giving us creepy compliments, and sometimes coming up with excuses to invite us into his apartment, like saying he ordered too much pizza, or that he had some furniture that he wanted to sell, and we should come look at it. Sometimes, he would just stare intensely and make you want to run past him before he could open up his door or drag you through his window. He also spent a lot of time every day rummaging through the dumpster now i have nothing against dumpster diving sometimes you do what you need to survive but doing it in broad daylight in front of all your neighbors whose trash is in said dumpster is just super creepy eventually he was evicted but refused to leave he left a barely legible all caps handwritten note on his door saying the landlords did not have permission to enter the apartment and hid whenever they would come around I remember seeing him dash to the door, grabbing one of the many notices they had left, dashing away again to wherever he spent his days. I still don't know how they finally got him out, but I'm pretty sure he continued to search through the dumpsters after that. I got out of there as soon as my lease ended. I hope he got the help he seriously needed, but I'll never forget how scary that guy was to live near. This is mostly my friend's encounter. My best friend and her sister lived down the road from me when we were kids, 13-ish at the time. They were next-door neighbors to a normal-enough-looking family of three, husband, wife, and toddler. We saw a lot more of the husband than we ever did of the wife or child. The husband was actually a bit over-friendly and would stare during the summer at girls coming and going to the pool. One day, he tells my best friend's sister something along the lines of, I know this girl your age that's looking for an online pen pal, here's her username. She befriended the account for a couple days until it became obvious it wasn't the girl she was told it was. He started sending her what she described as gross articles basically encouraging underage sex and being with someone way older. She showed her dad and he flipped his lid on their neighbor. That was the end of that. We never saw much of him after that until the day he got arrested. Apparently for being in possession of C.P. This happened a few years ago and it still creeps me out to think about. I moved out of my mom's house and got my own apartment after moving to the States for the first time. It looked like a predominantly safe neighborhood. I'm into true crime, so I'm always overly cautious. Anyway, about a few weeks after I moved in, my apartment on the bottom floor flooded because of the washers in the upstairs apartment had been turned on and no one was there to shut it off. I barely unpacked so I didn't really have anything to catch this water flooding through my ceiling. It was after business hours and the emergency number was just a reroute to the apartment main line that was closed after hours. I was running around knocking on the doors hoping that someone would answer so I could grab a bowl or something to hold the water until I could get a hold of someone in the emergency maintenance. The guy directly across from me finally answered and I frantically explained my situation and asked for a bowl or something. He started to say he didn't have anything until he could literally hear and see the water. He ran back into his place and pulled out a massive plastic storage bin. We rotated on switching out the bins of water until Rainbow showed up to save the day. My living room and kitchen were soaked, but my place was still livable. I told the guy thank you, then was going back until he stopped me and invited me to stay in his place for the night. I told him it wasn't necessary, my place was okay, and he insisted. He claimed he was getting ready to go to work, but he went back into his apartment, grabbed the keys, cleaned off his couch and his bed, and said I could stay there for the night and he'll come in the back door at 3am. He wasn't giving up, so I took the key. Until he left, then I returned his bin and the key and went back to my apartment and avoided this dude like the plague. Red flag one. A couple weeks later, I take out my dog to go potty. I could hear this neighbor's door open and close, so I would try to time it safely to avoid him. Unfortunately, it seemed like he was doing the same to me. As I open my door, and he happens to be leaving at the same time to try to talk, he stops me and starts talking about my family, if I'm from here, if I have family close. Red flag number two. After about six months of bobbing and weaving this weirdo, I take my dog out before bed to go potty. I would purposely walk around the back in order to avoid walking in front of this guy's apartment window, who now had the blinds open all the time, just to avoid him seeing me. I get out, walk around the back and just have an eerie feeling that someone's watching me. I look behind me and I see this guy peering around the corner just staring at me. He notices me notice him and goes back and I hear the door close. I start second guessing if I locked my door. I locked it every time I left. I go back, check my door and head back out the same way. Take my dog off for 10 minutes, walk home and I can hear his door and keys as I'm about to approach my door. I hide around the side, waiting him out. I hear his door close, but he doesn't leave. just standing there, jiggling his keys. It's cold out and my puppy is freezing. I decide to take my chances and go to my door. As soon as I walk out, he's standing there and says, oh, sorry about earlier, thought I saw someone walk by. Keep in mind, I walked in the back purposely to avoid him noticing me. I quickly said okay, went inside my place, It clicked. There's no way he could have known when I took my dog out and came back home unless he was peeping through the peephole and saw me. That was the last straw and red flag flashing in spotlights. I finally emailed management sending them the complaint and explained everything I just did. Within the next few weeks the dude moved out without a blink of an eye. I've had many creepy encounters like this so stay tuned. Just be aware and listen to your gut. Back in 2007, I was taking a walk with my boyfriend down to my neighborhood park. I can't exactly remember how late in the evening it was, but it was dark out, probably around 8 or 9 p.m. The park is at the end of a cul-de-sac, and it backs up to a small wooded area and a creek. As we are getting closer to the park, we start hearing very unusual and loud sounds that were like a snarling, screeching ape. We figured it was just a coyote, or a fox, or something, and continued towards the swing set area at the park. We sat down at a bench facing the wooded area when we started to hear those noises again and branches snapping. In the direction of the noises, we saw a treetop violently shaking as if a huge animal was on it, but we couldn't see a figure or anything at all. It was as if what we were looking at was an invisible force. I wanted to take a closer look but my boyfriend pulled me away and we started walking back towards the street. We stopped under the street light and listened some more. Then we watched a tree's motion jump from the trees behind the swing to a completely different side of the park. A different treetop was shaking and we could hear the branches snapping and the weird animal noises coming from it. Never thought I would share this experience, I'll always wonder what it was. this happened in grindstone pennsylvania back in the 90s i was probably around eight years old and my brother was about five ish we lived on a couple acres in the country with a farm on one side and your basic farm fencing with a thick forest on the other side with growing up in the sticks and dad being an avid hunter us kids were taught to be aware of our surroundings and wild animals things like that also we were taught never to wander off without telling an adult Not to trust strangers. The normal safety stuff kids are taught. Anyways, as a kid, I thought the woods were creepy and scary. There was no way in hell I would go into them by myself. So, I was playing outside with my little brother, and he went into the house. There I was by myself when I heard my mom calling for me. Kimberly, come here. Kimberly, over here. Come here, Kimmy. This was a little weird to me, because why would my mom be in the woods right now? I climbed over the fence anyways and started walking towards my mom's voice. Then out of the blue, I felt like I was being watched and got this bad feeling. I started to wonder how my mom got into the woods without going past me. You know, thoughts like that. So I turned quickly and ran back to the house where I found my mom at the kitchen table and my brother playing video games in the living room. I then asked her if she called for me, and she said no, and asked me why. I told her what happened. This led to us being told to stay inside and play inside for the rest of the day. I'm now in my early 30s, and I've asked my mom about this incident, and she still swears that she never called for me. There's something about this situation that still really bothers me to this day. Hail. I'm not going to provide the exact location for this, as this happened on the trail that my mom and I walked the dog on every day for the last ten years. It was pretty close to our home. I live in a rural area of the Pacific Northwest, and so there are a lot of trails just outside of town that bordered on a lot of forest. This was one of those, but it was probably the biggest trail in my town. It was actually an access road to some stuff, so it was about ten feet wide and gravel. At the time I briefly went missing, I was about 10 years old and I had walked the trail every single day for 3-4 to four years. My mom was with me, as was our dog, an 85-pound Rottweiler lab mix. I had been warned not to go off the trail and wouldn't have normally, but there was a small sub-trail that had a rope swing over a creek. I loved to play there as a kid, and that day I crossed the creek on a fallen tree bridge to hang out on the other side while my mom talked to her friend that she ran into. I was within sight of my mom, a clear view across the creek, when all of a sudden it was like things swirled. My surroundings were completely unfamiliar and there were plants that shouldn't have been there. The wrong kind of trees with the leaves at slightly the wrong point of the season. Of course, I knew what to do if I got lost. I hugged a tree and shouted for my mom, I was probably 300 yards away at the time, at the absolute most. She should have heard me, but she didn't. I wasn't there for very long before her dog came and got me. He wasn't a very smart dog, with all love, saying he was dumb as a bag of rocks would have been an insult to the rocks. He also didn't like me nearly as much as he liked my mom total Mama's boy, and would have stayed near her, but he calmly walked up to me, nuzzled my hand so it was on his head, and walked me back to the creek where I could see my mom. I thought I'd been gone for 15 minutes or so, but apparently it had been an hour plus, and multiple people were looking for me, including walking directly on the path I had never left. I'm not sure if this is the right place but I've held this story in for the last six years because it sounds crazy and I got told not to talk about it. I went camping six years ago with a now ex-boyfriend of mine. The campsite we picked was beautiful. We were able to drive up through some small trails. The spot we picked was next to a hiking trail that weren't very far from the natural hot springs and a huge waterfall. We were in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely no one was around us We set up our camp next to the car, went hiking, soaked in the hot springs, came back and had dinner. It was all very normal until we woke up the next day. I need to give some context of how we slept that night so you can understand my confusion. Before we went to sleep, I put our food cooler and stereo that we had brought into the car and locked it. I put the keys in my front pocket of my backpack and put the backpack next to my sleeping bag on the far side of the tent away from the door of the tent. My boyfriend at the time slept nearest to the door of the tent with his gun next to him. We woke up in the morning and I felt fine. I slept hard from the inside of the tent and everything seemed normal. When we got out, our campsite was absolute chaos. The fire pit we had made was ruined. The cooler had been thrown and the food was scattered all over the place. The stereo was smashed to pieces laying next to a tree. All the car doors were open, including the trunk. We stood there for a minute, in silence, just taking everything in. The woods felt off now. It was quiet and not the beautiful campsite that we saw yesterday. Everything about those woods felt wrong now. My ex accused me of not locking the car doors the night before and that an animal had got to our stuff. I promised that I had locked it and went in the tent to grab the keys from my backpack, but they weren't there. I found them later on the ground right next to the car. We quickly threw everything into the trunk and left. My boyfriend was quiet and wouldn't talk to me about what just happened. He finally spoke when we were almost home and told me that he had a dream the night before about someone kneeling over him in the tent holding his gun and just staring at him. When I tried to ask him more questions he got quiet again and said he didn't want to talk about it and that we shouldn't talk about it anymore either. I tried to forget about it but I just can't. Something really wrong happened to us in the woods that night. This is the craziest UFO phenomena, true story, and it came from my dad. 1960s in Ethiopia, my dad is just a child, 9 years old, at the time playing with his best friend, Gabriel, after school. They were playing in the fenced-off backyard of my dad's house. My dad turns his back for a second and turns back to look at his friend, but his friend Gabriel is gone. It's important to note that my dad and Gabriel were from the top 1% of Ethiopia's ruling elite. My dad's father was the Minister of Interior of Ethiopia, and Gabriel's father was a four-star general. The backyard Gabriel disappeared from had a 10-foot brick wall with armed guards patrolling on the outside. A couple hours pass, his parents, my dad's parents, and the guards are searching for him, but no sight of Gabriel. 48 hours pass. Now there's a nationwide search for this important general's kid. It's on the news. Police are also searching door-to-door describing him and what he was wearing when he disappeared. He was wearing his private school uniform, white shirt, brown pants. Helicopters even search the countryside looking for him. Still nothing. A month passes, and then two, then four. People start losing hope that he would ever be found and start thinking the worst. Exactly six months to the day that he disappeared, Gabriel appears back in my dad's backyard. He wearing the same white shirt and private school uniform and it was still clean. He looked exactly the same as he did when he disappeared. This is where it starts getting weird. Once they confirmed he was okay, they started asking him where he'd been. He said a couple of nice men took him on a trip. He was in a white room that glowed and other children were there from different countries. He said he was surprised that the nice men who looked like white guys could speak Ethiopian and he could understand what the other children were saying even though they weren't speaking Ethiopian. The white glowing room had no windows, the doors disappeared into the walls. There's buttons on the walls and if the kids pushed them, beds would come out of the walls. He said he was then all of a sudden in a city that was glowing, clean. The cars were flying around him. He said there was people there, but they looked strange. Like us, but different. One nice man was still with him and took him to a tall building where he had to stay for a while, but showed him a room that he could use for entertainment. Gabriel said he could push a button and the room itself goes places. An open field, the beach the room itself even flies. He said after a couple hours he was taken back to Ethiopia and appeared in the backyard. He thought he had only been gone for a couple hours. No one believed him and Ethiopia being a super religious country, most adults around him thought that he was possessed by the devil. Gabriel even was forced to see priests to get the evil spirits out of him. My dad still keeps in contact with him Gabriel has got a doctorate in physics, and I believe works in Holland still. I lived in Alberta, and when I first moved there, April 2008, until he moved 2010, we had a neighbor who was the bane of our existence. It all started when, I was taking the garbage out to the bin. On my way back, I happened to look up and saw, no word of a lie nine cameras in this man's backyard he had one above the back door one on the railing of the back steps one on the pole by the back steps one on a receiver for a satellite one on the back gate three on his fence and one in the upstairs window now the amount kind of creeped me out but what really creeped me out was that five out of the nine cameras were pointed at my backyard oh did i forget to mention i have three young children Well, I pointed this out to my husband and he called the landlord right away, who then called the cops, and they all went there and told him to remove the cameras that were facing my yard. Then the trouble really started. He killed two of my cats, threw a dead skunk in my backyard, yelled at my kids for playing, and threatened to kill one of the cats in front of my kids, then had the audacity to call the cops on my husband for yelling at him. Not long after, the cops came to our house and put a verbal peace bond on us. I was sleeping on the couch due to having a broken arm. I turned off the light and settled in, waiting for the Advil to kick in. When I look out my living room window and who should I see there? My creeper of a neighbor. I screamed and Morgan came running downstairs. By this time, my neighbor had already ran back to his place. He finally moved out in 2010 when he realized that you couldn't get rid of us. And shortly after, we had a fire in our townhouse and had to move into his old unit. We found out why he had all those cameras. We were moving some stuff downstairs and saw he had built a room. He had a growing operation for marijuana in his basement that no one knew about. I now live on an acreage and I'm happy not to be there anymore. I know a lot of people are gonna say this is fake, but I swear it's not. I got my best friend as a witness. This happened a few years ago when I was about 13. I'm 5'7 and about 125 pounds, so I'm pretty small, but I usually have pepper spray and a pocket knife on me. I'm embarrassed to say, though, that in the excitement of exploration with my best friends, I forgot my pepper spray and knife. I love to explore and travel even, or especially go to places I'm not allowed. So when I moved in, of course, one of the first places I explored was the train tracks. I had my best friend come over one day to explore the neighborhood with me, and we decided the train tracks was a perfect place to explore. We were walking for about an hour or two, but it was still light outside, and we had just passed a small neighborhood street, so we felt safe. But when I turned around to throw a stick, I saw five hooded figures following us from about 20 feet away. I tried to pretend I didn't see them and just told my friend calmly. We decided to look at them straight on and see what they would do. Once we looked at them, they stopped. So did my friend and I. We stared at each other for a few seconds, but it felt like hours. Finally, they made their move. Three of them went to the left, and two of them went to the right. When we heard the sounds of the loud and fast footsteps, we finally snapped out of our trance and ran as fast as we could. We were both in cross-country, and we were being held together by adrenaline, so we were able to run faster than we ever had before. Luckily, because I explored those same tracks alone a few days before, I knew that if we ran a half-mile, we would be on a bridge above a small neighborhood. We somehow made it, no clue if we were still being followed or not. But out of fear, we jumped off about 10 feet down and kept running into the neighborhood until we finally saw other people. Then we slowly walked home, shaking and exhausted. Looking back, I regret not telling my parents, But I was scared that they would not let me explore alone anymore. But I didn't go back to those train tracks, and I never will. This happened to me about six months ago. My boyfriend at the time and I were sitting in the living room of my apartment when we heard a knock on the door. He asked if I was expecting anyone, and I said no, but I would take a look just in case to see who was out there. He stayed on the couch while I looked through the peephole. The apartment was set up in a way that it didn't allow him to see from the living room to the front door. Outside, there were two people. One African-American man, looked about mid-twenties, and a much older Asian woman who looked to be in her sixties. For whatever reason, I decided to open the door. When I opened it, the young man said, Hi, we are part of so-and-so religion and we would like to talk to you about it. I have a 50 pound dog who was trying to get outside, so I said, sure, hold on, I'll come outside, because my dog is trying to get out. This is a huge mistake. I want to clarify that this was very out of character for me. However, I recently became closer to God, and was wanting to give these people a chance, as I didn't believe any harm would come of it just by listening to what they had to say. I step outside and close the door behind me and listen to them. They said something about how they prayed to Mary instead of God because she was the one who birthed Jesus. I don't exactly remember, but it was something like that. I think they're for their time and then said something like, but thank you guys, stay safe out there. The Asian woman visibly starts panicking and says things that I don't understand in a different language. When I look at her partner to see what he has to say about her behavior, He says, no problem, maybe you want a pamphlet though. I reply, uh yeah sure, not wanting to be rude and also to do some research on the religion as I never heard of it before. The guy then says, okay great, we have them in the car, you can come with us, we're parked right in the front. This is when I start to feel weird. I lived on the third story of the apartment complex and was not really the best and there were no security cameras anywhere. Why would you leave the pamphlets in the car? If they're going door to door, it wouldn't make much sense to have each person they intrigued come down to the car. The woman grabbed my arm and started directing me to the stairs. In a split second, I yelled, You know what? I'm a Christian and very happy in my faith, but thank you both anyways. The woman says something in her language again that I didn't understand, and the man goes, Are you sure? We can get it to you fast. We're parked right there. That my heart generally stinking to my butt i started sweating and looking for ways to remove myself from her grasp and the situation entirely i know i must have looked panicked and i was what do i do how do i get away from the immediate danger i just put myself in i was thinking and just blurted out that i was sure yanked my arm away from the woman who ended up scratching me in her grasp and bolted inside I locked the door behind me and told my boyfriend what happened. That's when he looked at me with a face I'd never seen before in my life. He tells me about this religion that has been on the news for the last week because women have been going missing, and the one thing they have in common is some of their neighbors saying that they had been solicited by the group the same day or around the day of the neighbor's disappearance. I read some articles to fact check what he was saying, and he was right. The police were saying it might be in connection to a sex trafficking ring that was moving from neighborhood cities and now we're suspected to be in ours. It gets weirder somehow. I seriously freaked out and went straight to Facebook Live to share with my friends because I wanted to warn whoever I could. I set the privacy to public after the live ended and went on with my live, still a bit shaken but I was fine. One week later, I get a Facebook message from someone who is, I'm assuming, part of the religious group telling me that I needed to take the post down and they were not nice about it. After I said I wouldn't because I wanted to educate anyone who lives in the town, she told me I was a spoiled egg and I would regret making that video. I was scared and blocked her immediately, set the video to private and called the police. The police said they couldn't do much about it as I didn't have a make or model of the car that they were in, so there's no proof that they had came to my apartment or who it was. Here's the part that still freaks me out. When I went to show them the Facebook messages, I went to unblock the lady and her page was completely deleted. I still had the messages, but it was like I was talking to a little gray default profile picture. Even the name changed to something that seemed to be random clicks on a keyboard. I want to end this by saying I'm working on not being such a trusting idiot with people. I know things I should have done differently and still get upset with myself of how stupid I acted. And so to the religious group or sex trafficking pair that showed up at my door and the Facebook lady. Whatever your motives were, let's not meet again. I don't know how to start disgracefully, so here goes, or for sure if it belongs here, but it's downright creepy. I'm getting on a train to head home on the afternoon of October the 1st, 2019, about an hour's journey. The train is nearly full, and probably a few minutes after getting to my seat, a young woman, about my age, early 20s, sits next to me, probably due to the lack of space. For the first 30 minutes, it's uneventful, with no interaction between us, An elderly couple gets on the train, and she offers to give up her seat. I offer to do the same so they can both sit. The elderly couple thanks us for the offer, but declines and sits on the stairs. It's a double-deck train. I get up to go to the bathroom and return a minute later. She has moved into the window seat, where I sat, and offered it back to me. I said it wasn't necessary, but she moved back into her original spot anyways, and I sat back down in my window seat. She then uses this as a pretense to start a conversation with me and complimenting me on my willingness to give up my seat alongside her. We then begin to talk about our respective days, innocent enough. I was at a conference convention for my job, and she was heading up to visit family and claimed to have lived in the area in the past. I know this was only a few days ago, but my memory is really shot due to unrelated mental health issues I have in my life right now so this might not be perfectly accurate, but it goes something like this. She ends up asking me where I was getting off. I tell her. She says she's also getting off there, and asks how long until we arrive. I should have noticed this as a possible red flag in hindsight, but it could just be a coincidence or not familiar with the area anymore, as there was only a handful of stations the train stops at. I gave her my guess and told her I usually don't catch the train myself, so it might not be perfect. We kept talking about relatively innocuous stuff. We exchanged names. I won't mention names out of respect for her identity, regardless. She eventually asked where I worked. I told her I worked as a computer technician at a school. I work at a Catholic school, a detail I mentioned. She uses that as a pretense, as a way into religion. She asks me if I participate in any religious functions at the school. Mass, Holy Communion, etc. And I tell her I don't actively participate in them and that I'm not religious. As I tell her, I'm religiously agnostic, leaning towards atheism. A detail I didn't mention. But I also mentioned that I was raised Catholic and went to Catholic secondary school. She then claims to be agnostic herself a few years ago until she found Jesus and let him into her heart, which she claims has been helpful with a lot of her mental issues that she was having. At this point, I'm just curious about her story. I will generally humor anyone, as I like to hear about people's experiences and point of views, as long as it's not directly hostile to a group of people. Knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have. I listened to her harp on about it, while she occasionally asked questions about me. Like what worries me about life in general. During this, she gives me a pamphlet, and we continue discussing until I have to interrupt her as we approach the station we are meant to get off at. She asks me to do a prayer on the bottom left of the front page of the pamphlet. I oblige her, and do it partially out of curiosity, as I haven't done it in a long time. Before we part ways, she asks me for my email. I tell her, and she types it into her phone. I don't know why I did this, maybe because I hate disappointing people, or was curious, I don't know. I make poor decisions in my current mental state. We then hugged, and part ways. On the 4th of October 2019, I get the following email. This reminded me about the encounter. Having already read the pamphlet, I read it again, and I see the website mentioned on the back. After a little digging on the web, I notice the website on the pamphlet. And it's affiliated with the Family International, a religious cult that sexually abuses children, and a whole lot of other things. I was just in shock and disbelief. I was questioning whether to reply to her email and quiz her about it. If I do, I'll update this post. But I'm kind of scared as she's emailing me contacting my full name. Holy fuck, it's like she's trying to recruit me to this crazy cult. I'll be glad to not cross paths with her ever again. A little over three months ago, a man knocked on our door while it was just myself and my son home alone. I was working from home at the time, so my tensions were scattered between my son and my other responsibilities. It was in the middle of the day, so a knock on the door didn't appear suspicious. Although, it was definitely unexpected. Anyone who knows us will call us before arriving. Assuming it was one of our neighbors, I opened the door to a man that I didn't recognize. Mid-40s, slender, about 5'10", graying hair covered with a beanie, with worn jeans and a dusty jacket. Hi, I'm Tom from Thomas Ministries. Wonder if you could use any prayer today. I'm a nice person, not one to rudely chase people off the doorstep without a reasonable cause. So I kindly declined, and he went on his way. I watched out the window as he walked down the street, not stopping at another single house on the block. Seeing as we were the only house with the car in the driveway, I didn't think much of him picking our door to knock on. Fast forward a few months to last night, around midnight. My husband is a night owl and is often up to 2 a.m. or so. Me and the toddler are fast asleep in our beds. Out of nowhere, the doorbell rings and then there's a knock on the door. Our dog barks and I wake up. Our bedroom is just off the living room, so I was able to lie there and listen to my husband as he opens the door. I overhear him telling the midnight stranger that we have a god, we're not interested, and to leave in a much more stern and aggressive tone than I am capable of. After the door shuts, my husband enters the room a few seconds later and describes the interaction to me. The description and interaction matches the exact man I encountered a few months earlier, except this time it's midnight and there's no ministry on this planet that would encourage door-to-door ministry in the dead of the night. My husband watches the man do the same thing as before, walk down the street, not knocking on a single door in sight. Now I feel it's important to acknowledge the lack of judgement on our part. The door should have never been opened. We should have called 911, non an emergency, and reported it. This was a mistake, and fortunately for us, it wasn't a deadly one. Lesson learned a thousand times over, and mistakes would not be repeated. Our house is protected, and we are even more prepared. I sincerely hope that we do not encounter this man again. Thoughts of the East Area Rapist and Night Stalker documentary swarm my head, and I think how easily things could have gone wrong. How easy it would have been for us to look past this and not recognize a sign of danger. Given that the first time he knocked, it was just myself that answered. I can't help but wonder why he picked his house again to knock at in the middle of the night. I would like to think it's just a mental illness, but you never really know until you know. And I hope and pray that we never have a chance to. Not the craziest story, but true. So about one and a half years ago, I went on a school trip to New York. We tried to minimize every cost, so we stayed in hostels. They were pretty nice to be fair. One day we come back and were huddled around the courtyard kind of section, in front, to get a debrief on the following day. There were 30 of us kids and three teachers. The lead teacher stood on a bench as she addressed us. This tall man was walking past and joined the back of our group. A few of the boys noticed and pointed it out. We had gotten a few questions from people on the trip about who we were, so we didn't find it weird at all at first. The man then saw my teacher staring and blurted out, You're so beautiful. She was flattered, but a little confused. He remained there as if he'd joined us. It was super weird. He kept complimenting her. As we filed into the lobby, he followed us. One teacher flagged one of the staff, and he kindly stepped in. Hi, what room are you in? Um, yeah, three. As he tried to pass him. Three, what floor? what section? I lost my key. He runs past him and continues to follow our group. We were going to the basement to use the kitchen, so it was definitely not a coincidence. He just kept politely getting escorted away by the staff, but kept coming back. Our teacher told us to go to our rooms, so I don't know what happened after. It doesn't sound that crazy, but it was just super creepy. So it was early 2020, and I was on a trip with my friend in London. We're two 22-year-old girls and just wanted to spend the weekend looking around the galleries and getting to feel the city as we were thinking of moving there. We were staying in kind of a dingy hostel in East London, but we were barely ever there. We stumbled in late at night after being out most nights. We were in a shared room with two other sets of bunk beds. Most nights, we weren't really aware of any others being in the room, other than the odd snorer who was gone by morning, but our last night, a new person had arrived. We noticed he laid out his clothes neatly on the bed, and all his shoes were lined up perfectly against the wall. He was sleeping under the duvet, despite his clothes being left on the top of the bed. Almost like he heard us coming up and jumped into bed before we came into the room. The lights were on too. We were both pretty drunk so didn't take much notice and went to sleep ourselves. The next morning we were flying home on a really early flight, like 6am, when we woke up around 3.30am. He was already awake and while we were both getting our things together, we noticed that he was taking his stuff out of this bag methodically in a really particular order. He was muttering under his breath but wasn't saying anything that we could make out, but kept laughing to himself and got progressively louder. We both text back and forth about how odd he seemed to be, but we were leaving soon, so we weren't too worried about it. I walked into the bathroom to brush my teeth, the door slightly ajar. My friend was directly outside finishing up her makeup, so I didn't see the point of shutting the door and locking it, just to brush my teeth. Seconds after I walked in, he walks in. I froze, but then I thought I should act as normal as possible, instead of reacting or freaking out as that might cause him to lash out and I could already tell that he wasn't totally normal. While I'm standing there brushing my teeth, he stares into the mirror at himself for about 20 seconds, almost glaring at himself. He seemed angry. He started grinding his teeth and grunting too. Then he switched and tapped on and started flinging water at his face, most of it flying behind him or down his clothes. He kept making grunting sounds and they were getting louder. Bear in mind, I was about two feet away from him, brushing my teeth. I completely freak out and swallow my toothpaste without rinsing and walk out the bathroom. My friend was sat outside, her eyes wide, and she was shaking. She said when I walked into the bathroom, he stopped what he was doing, stared at my friend, smiled really creepily, and then walked in after me, keeping eye contact with her, which was odd because he never tried to make eye contact with me. We grabbed our stuff and ran downstairs, At first, I was tired, and I didn't fully process how weird it was. But looking back, it could have been really dangerous, and was definitely very weird. Creepy man who decided to join me in the bathroom, I hope I never see you again. This happened back in the spring of 2007, when my buddy and I were doing a month-long backpacking trip across Europe. We had started in London and took every imaginable mode of transportation through France, the Netherlands, Germany, and finally ended our trip in Italy. Due to a bus delay, we arrived in Rome several hours later than scheduled. The folks at the hostel said they assumed that we weren't going to show up and rented our beds to other travelers. Not to worry, they told us. There was a spillover property across the city they rented out for such occasions This was a two bedroom apartment with several bunk beds packed into the rooms. Here, we spent our last three nights in Europe along with a group of young Spaniards we ended up going clubbing with and having a blast. On our last day, our Spaniard friends left and were replaced with a large group of 10 Latin American men and one woman that we met briefly before heading out on our final night in Rome. There was a bit of a language barrier, but everyone seemed nice and we headed out separately. My friend and I got back to our bunks around 2 AM and about an hour later the other group stumbled in, clearly pretty drunk. They all got into their bunks and within 15 minutes the lights were out and they were snoring away, all but one. One of the young men on the upper bunk directly across from me was still awake, seemingly playing with his phone. My eyes were shut and I started to drift off to sleep just as a bright light hit me directly in the face and I heard the shutter click sound on his camera phone. Annoyed, but not wanting to be confrontational, I turned my back, facing away, hoping he would just go to bed. Instead, he continued taking photos of me, whispering obscenities in English that I won't repeat here. I realized that being passive was the wrong strategy when he got down off his bunk and crept over to mine. For a few moments, he just stood over me, Apparently with his hands on the upper bunk, where my traveling companion slept. At one point, my heart rate was going through the roof, and I quickly started considering my options. A cold realization suddenly hit me. We were in a private apartment with no other travelers or staff in the building. If I confronted this person, he might awake his companions. I have no idea whether these men are dangerous, and if they were, we might be in the fight for our lives. If they were so inclined, they could probably kill us and just say that we left on schedule and we would never be heard from again. I was thinking of kicking the dude in the stomach and bolting to the kitchen to grab a knife when he suddenly knelt down and reached into my bed. That was it. I sat up sharply and got right in his face, asking, You fucking need something, dude? As menacing as I could. He froze. Without saying a word, he got up and walked into the common area. I heard the bathroom door shut. After a minute later, he got back in his bunk and 10 minutes after that, he too was snoring peacefully. I was wide awake, fully dressed, and ready to battle for the rest of the night. Shortly before dawn, I woke up my friend and we got out of there. He did ask, what was that guy doing last night? But I have no idea how he was aware of the whole thing. We were on our flight to Heathrow a couple hours later and we never discussed it since. So yeah, creepy photographer dude, if I see you in public, you might meet these hands. This happened in the summer of 2018. I was 22 and that summer I was lucky enough to get a summer internship in London and found a dorm type housing situation. The company generously provided a housing stipend to all the interns who were traveling a certain distance from home. So keep in mind, my job is paying for this. The building I lived in was Green Lines and was meant for people that were in London short term, typically students. You can pay rent week by week. They provide both suites, private restrooms, and a shared kitchen, which is what I had, as well as just rooms without bathrooms. The following details are how the building was set up and are kind of important, so please bear with me. To get into the building, you had just one key card which unlocked the entrance of the building, your hallway, as well as a suite or bedroom, but not any other hallway. To get into the building, you had to enter a metal gate from the street with the key card onto the property which also included a little backyard and bike racks then use the keycard again to enter the actual building. You would use it again for the elevator, go to your floor, swipe into your hallway, then swipe into your room. With all that out of the way, I could proceed to the actual creepy encounter. So I had been living there for about three weeks and even made a great friend from India who was in London doing a six-month pastry course at some hot shop baking school. Me and her hit it off the second we met. We'll call her Priya. she and I, as well as a 30-year-old man from Spain in London on some marketing training course his company was paying for, made a ritual of gathering each night to smoke, drink wine, watch the World Cup, and generally chill because we had a really great trio formed. They're both great people, so the night this all went down was just like any other. I came home from work, got off the bus on my block, and was approaching the first metal gate to my hostel. Standing there was this man, about thirty to thirty-five years old, with very unique hair. I'd never seen him before, but people came and went all the time in this place. He was fiddling with a magnetic key card just like mine. I knew he belonged there because the keys had the building's logo printed on them so I could tell that it was, in fact, just his keycard's magnetic strip malfunctioning. I said hello and introduced myself and helped him inside. I, as a woman, am cursed with a very friendly and sunny disposition. I'm very easy to talk to. I find something in common with almost anyone, which often led me to men I've rejected cursing me out for leading them on by having been nice to them. This guy starts to flirt with me right away, and I drop casually that I have a boyfriend. He asked for my number, and my stupid ass actually gave it to him, because I figured he just moved there. He seems nice. We have a pretty great evening squad I chill with, and figured maybe it would be nice to invite him down for a smoke with Priya, our Spanish friend and I, in the evenings. Because I'm the type of person to think, oh if he's living here, he's probably new to London, and knows no one like all of us when we got here. Only thing is, and this is embarrassing and hilarious, except for my own phone number, I only know one other by heart, my mother's. So literally, without thinking, when I was asked for my number, I recited my mom's phone number on reflexes and didn't realize it until about 10 minutes later when I got back to my room and my mom calls me frantic, screaming, Who are you giving my number to over there? And instantly, I understood what just happened, and was like, Oh my bad mom, I did the phone number thing again. To which she responds, That's good and fine, but whoever the fuck he is, you need to stay the fuck away from him. So essentially, he started texting my mom, as though it was me, naturally. And she understood what was up, right away, and nicely replied, Oh I'm sorry, this has happened before. This is not Elle's number, but her mother's. But here's hers and he started sending her voice memos on whatsapp screaming like what kind of fucking games are you playing with me aggressive as shit so I texted him explaining my mistake and how no one was playing games with his ass and to watch his fucking mouth basically once he realizes I'm not trying to play games with him or whatever he goes back to being a gentleman by which I mean immediately asking me to come check me Which I assume is British slang for, see me in my room. So at this point, I don't mess with this dude because of how aggressive his reaction was. I'm not going to hang out with him or invite him to meet my friends. So I politely decline, saying I'm not trying to have anyone in my room. And that's when he starts to manage to know my hallway and room number. At this point, I'm pretty freaked out because all women know men are fucking scary. Thank God, his keycard doesn't have access to my hallway, even if he knew which one I was in. After realizing I'm not gonna tell him, and also realizing that he creeped me the fuck out, meaning we will not get to hang out, he started to literally threaten me, sending voice memos on WhatsApp screaming on the top of his lungs that I'ma see you next Tuesday, and a stupid bitch, and that he'll literally fucking kill me. Mind you, it has been about 30 minutes at this point since I met this man. He also sent me death threats the following day, around 10 a.m. I did the only thing I could, which was to immediately contact Hostel Management and report this. I provided them with all the screenshots and voice memos, and there was no arguing. They kicked him out by the very next morning and also told me that the police were involved, though no one ever spoke to me about it. I assumed they didn't have to, as management had screenshots and voice memos to show them. I was told that police came around 9 in the morning. That timestamp made me realize he sent me the threats this morning after the police spoke to him. He's mad that I called the cops, and he seemed pretty crazy, so I was afraid. I went to work the next morning and told my boss what happened. She was a wonderful boss and mentor, so I was telling her because I was shaken up more than anything. I'm extremely happy that i did talk to her though because she waited for me to finish talking and wide-eyed said you're not staying another minute at that place because she was thinking what i was thinking was to stop the creep from waiting for me outside the front gates one of those days and attacking me i can't thank her enough because she came home with me and packed all my things straight from work and rented a comfortable hotel for three nights for which she generously paid out of pocket because she wasn't really allowed to put it on the company card. Within that 3 days, she helped me find a nice Airbnb apartment that I shared with a very nice roommate for the remainder of my time in London, and it actually ended up being cheaper than the hostel, unbelievably, because the hostel was in Green Lanes, and this flat was about a 3 minute walk from the Old St. Station. I was so thankful for her amazing initiative, but was sad to leave my hostel friends and nightly routine behind so suddenly. All this shit went down within 12 hours. In the following weeks, Pariah did, in fact, see this guy lurking around the building several times, as he was easy to spot with his aforementioned very unique hair. I thank my lucky stars that I never had the chance to introduce them, because who knows if he would have targeted her in lieu of me once I moved, because he knew we were friends. I am very lucky to have the incredible boss I had, who went above and beyond to keep me safe. Let me just preface this story as to why I was traveling alone. So, one of my best friends Kayla and I worked seasonally at a hiking lodge in the BC for the summer. We were both girls in her early 20s. She lives and goes to school in New Brunswick, and I live and work as a chef in Toronto for the winter. We decided this year, as I bought a new car, instead of flying back home, we would do an epic Canadian coast-to-coast road trip. Everything was going wonderfully, so wonderfully in fact. We ended up staying longer in a few unexpected places and had to cut our east coast portion of the trip a little short. Now my friend Kayla started her schooling on November 1st, so I dropped her at home in New Brunswick on Halloween and stayed there at her place. I was planning to head to Toronto the next day. After a few glasses of Chardonnay and some laughs, I decided I couldn't come this close to the East Coast and not see the Cabot Trail in Nova Scotia, something that had been on my bucket list for years. So knowing that I still had a week more of vacation before my winter contract, I hastily booked a hostel for the next day, November 1st, at the Aculet Hostel on the Cabot Trails. When I booked, only one option came up. I assumed because I waited till the last minute to book. It was a private dorm with a queen-size bed for $35, I thought, what a bargain, and booked immediately. I left Kayla's house at 7am, knowing it was a long drive. Now the Cobbett Trail is roughly 150 kilometers long, so I thought to be safe. I plugged the hostel address into my Google Maps and headed straight there to get my bearings. I would arrive at the hostel roughly around noon, and knowing that that was too early to check in, I figured I would consult with the front desk to figure out nearby hiking trails and bring my bags in later. I was about to arrive to my hostel, according to Google, but all around me was nothing but farmland. Google instructed me, the destination is on your left. I saw nothing. About 50 yards up the road, I saw a wire bar bent to look like an A that was sprayed paint bright red. I was staying at the Accolade Hostel, so I guess that might be the place and I followed the dirt road. It led me to what I can only describe as a dilapidated barn, no signage. There were two cars parked up front, so I parked alongside them and got out of my car and tried to figure out where I was. Once I got out, a smallish man, around mid-40s with dark hair and intense eyes, popped out of the barn. He asked me if I was staying with them tonight. I said yes, he asked why i booked so last minute and i explained to him my situation seeming satisfied with my answer he insisted on taking me on the grand tour of the barn the first thing i noticed that the entirety of the barn had been dug out around the foundation about five feet deep and three feet around he led me across some particle board laid down as some sort of ramp leading inside The second thing I noticed about the property is that there's no windows. This was clearly a barn meant for livestock. The gentleman leading me on this tour was named Kevin, the owner. He proceeds to tell me about his grand plans for the space. It all seemed pretty far-fetched as it was just a big barn with particle board separating most of the rooms. He led me up the skeleton stairs made of plywood and 2 by 4s to a cabin loft where I'd be sleeping that night, along with his family, the mother, his son, and Kevin's own mother, who insisted I call her mom. The upstairs was certainly an open concept. A frail curtain separated the beds to the sides, with a large open area in the middle. I asked him if I was the only occupant that night. He said yes. I had a feeling he didn't often get occupants. I told him I was very interested in hikes in the area and wanted to get to them before it got dark. He gave me very detailed instructions of his favorite hikes and how to get to them, and off I went. I figured the place wasn't ideal. I wish the website would have let me know that it was still being built. But hey, i booked it last minute and beggars can't be choosers, plus he was very friendly and helpful on his hiking advice. I hiked the area until it started getting dark. I didn't pack enough food for the day, and I figured I would head into town for dinner. The nearest town was clearly a booming tourist destination during the summer, but now in the off-season, it was a ghost town. All the hotels and B&Bs in the area were boarded up. Such a ghost town that even the liquor stores were closed for the off-season. Finally, I found a dark and dingy empty bar to eat dinner. It was, to phrase lightly, a disappointing supper. I had this romantic image in my head of sitting in front of a harbor front, sipping on bubbly, slurping back ocean fresh oysters. I was assured by the server, bartender, cook that the fried oysters that I ordered were definitely not fresh. I didn't ask. I figured, with all my options for things to do and see exhausted, I should head back to the hostel and read my book. I got back roughly at 8 p.m. I could smell the family who lived there was in the midst of dinner. A little boy ran down the wood steps to greet me. He yelled, as little boys always do. My name is JP, what's yours? I say, nice to meet you JP, my name is Alex. He immediately asked if I wanted to come play. I said definitely, just let me put my bags down in my room first. He followed me through the translucent curtains to my room so instead of getting settled in, I headed straight out into the main area. I started throwing a foam ball with JP. His mother, father, grandmother were all sitting down to eat without even acknowledging we were there, playing just right in front of them. The mother and father just start what seems to be a basic argument, which turns into them yelling at each other. Completely weirded out, I told JP that I needed to go into my room and call my mommy, as she was wondering where I am, Of course, the boy doesn't understand proper boundaries and follows me through the curtains and sits on my bed. I'm trying to take his attention away from his family fighting, so I start asking him where he goes to school, his favorite color, etc. His mom starts calling for him, but he doesn't answer, instead chooses to sit on my lap and hug me. Not wanting to cause any problems, I yell to the mom that he's in my room. She runs in and snatches him off my lap and yells to his father. I know what you're like when you get angry. I'm taking JP, don't follow us. I hear her book it down the stairs and him run after her. I hear a car start up in the lot and not just drive, but fucking peel out of the driveway. I hear him cursing, a door slams, and the sound of the excavator I had seen outside earlier in the day come on. I guess he wanted to get some handiwork done to let off some steam. Now, just left upstairs is me and grandma, who still insists I call her mom. I walk out of my not-so-private curtained room with my bag and say, Listen, you guys have been great hosts, but I should go. She starts rubbing my arm and telling me to stay, explaining her daughter-in-law doesn't understand Kevin like she does, and she's the real problem. Now, I'm ready to tell the mom to just fuck off and just leave. Until I realize she still has a knife in her hand from cooking dinner. It's about a four inch knife, but with intent. I'm sure it would do some damage. I don't think she meant it as a threat. I think she was just a kooky old bird who didn't understand. Maybe don't hold a knife when you're trying to console a stranger. So I go along with what she's saying while she rubs my arm with one hand and flails the knife around in the other. I inch closer and closer downstairs to the door. She keeps rubbing my arm and shoulders with her free hand, telling me to stay and that her grandson is special and before I even booked the night with them, that he had a premonition that I would be staying with them. As soon as I get to the door, I run towards my car. I start my engine and back up into the lot to get out of there. Kevin in the excavator blocks my path with about a five-foot ditch on one side of the drive and the forest behind me. He gets out saying sorry and tells me I should stay. He'll make it up to me. Grandma comes out with a knife still in hand saying, it's Kevin's fault I'm leaving. They pick her for about five minutes until I yell that if they don't let me leave, I'm calling the police. All of a sudden, they got super defensive like I'm being the one unreasonable. So I turn off my engine and start to dial. Kevin gets back into his excavator and starts backing up. As soon as he's far enough, I can see an opening to drive across the grass. I turn my engine back on and rip out the drive. I'm sure doing a number on the suspension of my little sedan. As soon as the property is out of sight, I go to call my friend Kayla. No service. I remember back to earlier that afternoon, when I first got to the hostel. I was going to check my messages and saw that there was no service. Even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have been able to call the cops. I drove the six hours straight to New Brunswick and stayed with Kayla. This happened in early 2017. I was a 23 year old girl and I just finished college. The field I studied was not huge in my area, so I decided to leave. I moved to the biggest city in my country to make a post-graduation course and look for a job. As I was still unemployed, I decided I would wait to make a long-term rental contract, worrying about a future bad commute to work. In the first couple of months, I was switching between Airbnbs and hostels all the time. I was already tired of this. I decided this would be my last move and then, with or without a job, I would settle. I was already running out of money and decided to stay in a dorm in a hostel next to where I was taking classes. Sharing a bedroom is no problem to me during a trip. But when you're living somewhere, trying to create a routine and have some privacy, sharing the bed with complete strangers just sucks. I would share the dorm with three guys, but it's not with them that I had my bad encounter. They were nice, apart from one of them snoring so bad at night. No biggie. In Another dorm, although, was the creepiest person I've ever seen. He was in his mid-30s and was not traveling. He was a native from the city we were in and was using the hostel as a new house since his parents kicked him out of theirs. He introduced himself and tried to be nice and flirty with me. I was polite, but declined his invest. He wouldn't stop. He started following me all day long inside the hostel. Anywhere I went, he would show up in less than five minutes. On my second day there, I left the hostel to a job interview, and by the time I arrived back late at night, he was sitting alone at the front stairs waiting for me. He told me this like it was the most natural thing on earth. He would buy me snacks, ask me out, try to get information about my personal life. All of this when I already made it clear of my lack of interest. All this happened in three days. I was already exhausted by his presence, but what I didn't know is that it could have went worse. As soon as one of the guys left that we were sharing the dorm with, he asked the hostel staff to switch dorms and stay in my room. Obviously, he didn't tell me this, so imagine how surprised and disgusted I was when I saw him coming to the dorm with all his belongings. I was so scared of his presence that I slept wearing jeans to avoid any sort of advantage he could take on me while I was sleeping. The next morning, I decided to leave. The situation had exponentially went worse, and I couldn't handle it anymore. While I was packing, this guy showed up, noticed what I was doing, and started to cry, asking me not to leave him. Then, to make things more creepy and disgusting, he told me that he was missing my face while I was sleeping and thank God that he had taken photos. I was trying my best to be chill about his behavior, but I just lost it when he told me he had taken pictures of me while I was sleeping. I took his phone from his hand, asked to see the pictures and deleted all of them. There is a bunch of photos of me sleeping in the night before. I left the hostel and really regret not reporting him to the staff. Crazy lonely dude from the hostel, please, let's never meet again. A few years ago, I worked at a well-known hostel in Seattle. I worked the graveyard shift, so most of my shift was spent processing reservations and surfing the web. This was when I actually discovered Reddit. Anyway, one night, I noticed this ad on Craigslist about a new hostel that had opened up in South Seattle. Being bored and curious, I gave the guy a call to find out the rates, accommodations, etc. He answered with a dry, Hello. I asked if I called the right number for the hostel, and he responds with a quick, Oh, yeah, yeah. How can I help you? I don't mention that I'm an employee at another hostel and instead inquire about the location, price, typical stuff. He tells me that the location is hard to describe and it would be best if I just met him at the closest convenience store and he would take me to the hostel from there. No thank you. Click. I had heard all I needed to hear. Throughout the rest of my time at my hostel, there would be times that we would be full and would give suggestions to the visitors on places to stay. I made it a point to mention this place as an anti-suggestion. One of my guests actually informed me that he had stayed there a few months before and it was in fact something to stay away from. The hostel, I'm told was basically an old house that had been completely gutted. So it was just two big rooms, a kitchen, and a large room with bunk beds, dirt floor, and a television in the room with the bunk beds. No travelers, just crackheads and tweakers, who had clearly been living there for some time. No staff. Dude picked him up at the convenience store, as offered, brought him to the hostel, took his bunny, and left. A couple days ago, I woke up and went to the ground floor to go outside for a cigarette. I took the stairs down and opened the door to the lobby, only to be greeted by a girl with a towel around her who looked traumatized, accompanied by ambulance staff. I had actually seen this girl and her friend the night prior coming in with boxes of beer, happy and laughing. Looked like they had a good night ahead of them. I proceeded to go outside and have my cigarette. There were a couple of police officers who came up to me and asked for my details because they suspected I had a warrant for my arrest. I just had a similar appearance to who they were looking for, I guess. Then I saw a detective. That's when I knew something serious had gone down in there, but not sure what exactly. They loaded the girl into the ambulance and the detective jumped in after to interview the girl. I went back inside and eventually came out for another smoke about an hour later. The ambulance and the police were still there. The detective jumped out, and the ambulance drove off. There was also a bread van parked across the street, just observing what was going on. This is where it gets interesting. One of the officers came out and retrieved a whole bunch of brown bags from the detective's SUV. They went back inside and returned empty-handed. Him and his partner then drove off about 20 minutes later the detective comes out with the bags they were all filled and puts them into her vehicle she proceeds to keep going in and out for the next hour or so each time coming out with bags filled with stuff evidence i'm guessing there were some clear bags that had some linens and blankets in them she then comes out with more bags and there's a man accompanying her who i hadn't seen yet he wasn't wearing police attire, but had a logo on his shirt that I didn't get a close enough look at to make out. He was carrying out one of those cameras and tripods you see in TV and movies that they use to photograph the crime scene. He loads it into the red van, then drives off. The detective goes back inside. She later comes back out with her partner, who I hadn't seen the whole time. They hop into the SUV and drive off. Nobody came out in cuffs, and no body was rolled out. I assumed they would have done that through the rear entrance. This was the middle of the city and highly populated, so I guess they wanted to keep it out of the public eye. I knew whatever happened was on level 3, because I entered the building earlier, right after the police officers, and the indicator said that the elevator was on level 3. Later that night, I decided to go up to level 3, just to have a snoop around. See if there is any crime tape or anything like that. I don't know. I took the stairs because the swipe card doesn't allow me to go to level 3. I'm on level 1. And whoa. As soon as I opened the door to enter the level, I got a huge sense of doom, shivers down my spine, and could just feel a really dark force. I immediately shut the door and went back downstairs. I haven't seen anything on the news, no articles on the internet, nothing. I assume it was a degenerate or some kind, because this place was filled with them. Not worth the news, or ruining the backpacker's reputation. So many theories running through my head. I didn't see the other girl who I saw entering the night prior. Maybe she fled. Maybe she's the one who was killed. Maybe she was the killer. Maybe the other girl's the killer. Maybe it was self-defense. Outright murder. Who knows? I can't be certain, but I'm pretty sure it was a homicide from what I saw. So this happened a couple hours ago. I'm a 19-year-old female. I was clubbing with my friends, and around 1:40 in the morning, I told them I was going to head home. Not a long walk, 5 minutes at most. As I got to the corner of the block that my hostel was on, a man in the back seat of a white car tapped on the window. I turned around to look, and they were all saying things like, Hey, come here. I turned back around and continued walking, a little scared. Then I heard the car door open, and I see a big old man, maybe in his 30s, get out and walk towards me, saying, Come back here, repeatedly. I turned back and tried to walk fast towards the hostel, which was about 200 meters from where I was. He kept walking towards me and got faster and faster, but never more than a brisk walk. At this point, I was shitting bricks and the only thing I could think of was how I was going to be a topic on one of those crime podcasts. I'm going to be one of those girls that gets kidnapped a mere minutes from her home. He continued for another 10 seconds. Meanwhile, I was trying to think of something I could use as a weapon. I had nothing on me, except what was in my pockets, ID, and money. I turned around, and he wasn't there anymore. Scared that he had gone back to the car to drive around and grab me, I ran to my hostel, right to my boyfriend. I can't stop thinking about what they wanted from me. Sorry if this is too mild for the sub. I just kind of wanted to see if anyone had any idea if this sort of stuff happens all the time, and what they might have wanted from me.